and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to talk about spring manure, applications of manure. We'll talk about nutrient content and just some tips, some uh, things that hopefully can help you in your operation maximize that valuable commodity of manure. We'll also take your phone calls throughout the show today. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We've been getting a lot of questions in for the Ag PhD mailbag, so we're going to hit that right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, we got a letter in the mail. This came from Pennsylvania from Jay who says, I enjoy listening to your radio program, uh, especially during the winter months when I'm stuck inside. Got a question to ask. When I was uh, a young person many years ago, I was told that it takes 100 years to produce one inch of topsoil in cultivated farm fields. Not true. And I'm just wondering, with no-till and other practices right now, do you think it should be a lot faster? If so, what would you do? Yep. And... uh, a couple of things, but that's the main question here. So what does it take to build topsoil and how quickly can you do it? Well, it's the same kind of stuff we talk about when building organic matter. Number one, biggest key, reduce tillage. I'm not saying you have to go no-till, but reducing tillage absolutely is going to help. Number two, plant crops with lots of roots. So Corn is going to build organic matter. Corn is going to help build topsoil faster than soybeans, for example, because corn on average has five times the root mass. I'm not saying you can't still build those things with soybeans. I'm just simply saying with corn, it'll go a little faster. The third thing is use manure or compost. That's a real big key. I was talking to some guys who do manure application just the other day, and I just told them about some research work we had done back... I don't even know how long ago this has been, 15, 20 years ago, something like that, where we injected manure clear down to 20 inches deep. Came back about three years later, dug root pits there, and we could see the black strips going down in the soil. We had increased organic matter. We had, in effect, created some new topsoil clear down into the ground. So I'm not saying you can create topsoil overnight or you know a whole bunch of it in three years, but I am saying those three things are the biggest keys. So again, it's reducing tillage, planting crops with lots of roots, and then using manure or compost. Now, in addition to that, I would say cover crops are nice when a person can use them. We can't really use cover crops in our corn serving rotation here because we plant as the ground ground is thawing in the spring and we harvest when the ground is about frozen in the fall. So there's no extra time. So I just look at corn and soybeans, in effect, are our cover crops. But anyway, last thing would be biologicals. There are a lot of these new biologicals that are out there now that can help, but let's put it this way. The more crop we can raise out there, the more we can hold that soil in place and the more nutrients we can feed that and and overall soil life we can feed into there, the better off we are. So over time, um, yes, we can build new topsoil. As far as taking 100 years, no way, no. I I believe it can be done way faster than that. How many years is it, though? It's really going to vary depending on a lot of factors. Certainly environment plays a massive role in that, but then how you manage your farm, too. Um, Oh, and to go along with the 
topsoil conversation. It's the organic matter conversation where a lot of people ask about, well, how long does it take to build organic matter? Again, it all depends on a lot of these things, but it's the same five basic steps we talk about for building organic matter. And it's a reasonable goal in, say, 20 years to build 2% organic matter. That can be done in a lot of environments. All right. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the the feedback. Thanks for for uh, supporting the show too. We really appreciate that. Also, get this one from Will. He said, "I'm in North Carolina, and I applied a high nitrogen fertilizer on the 24th of February to my grass. We've had nearly six inches of additional rainfall year to date compared to last year. Wondering, my grass still looks terrible." Do I have a fertility problem or do I have a microbe problem due to saturated conditions? I don't have a soil test, unfortunately, but can follow up with one once the results come back. Wondering, is there a quick fix with fescue? Historically, we haven't wanted to put on nitrogen after March 15th. I'm in southeast North Carolina. I wonder why they haven't wanted to put on nitrogen after March 15th. Because to me, nitrogen on grass, it should be done every month. There should be spoon feeding done every single month. So is it possible that with all that rain, so we don't, we don't have a soil test here. So it might, let's just say, be really light soil. And with that much rainfall, six inches above normal, literally all that nitrogen can now be gone. So I'm going to guess that it's a put it night. On. They just put it on. You said February 24th. It's, February 24th. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we? Uh, two three weeks, weeks away. Oh, I thought it's two it was, weeks ago. Fifteen. Oh, I, days I figured ago. three weeks later. Okay, so yeah, that's right. February is a short month, but two weeks, and it never yes. looked good, even after yeah. they put it on. Yeah. So and it sounds to me like you got saturated else. soils, and how about I don't sulfur? Know what the temperature's been either. Yep. And you're right. It may not, it may be that nitrogen's fine. It's another nutrient, and <clears> and that would be one I would look at as sulfur. So make sure when you do run that soil test. You probably already have it sent in by the sounds of it, but and, make sure you get a complete test. And in the future, I mean, without knowing anything else other than what was just said there. So I think right away about like pasture ground, but almost any grass ground, it's a little bit of nitrogen every month, roughly. And that that's a good general statement without knowing anything else. But yeah, send us your soil test and we can comment further. All right, got a little feedback from Paul from California, who was at the Neil Kinsey course that we just had recently here in late February. He said it was refreshing to attend that course. I appreciate that you guys tell it straight. I got a recommendation from an agronomist you work with, and I'm looking forward to trying it on a plot of cover crops that we're going to graze and also use for habitat. With the inherent uncertainty of being in a family farm, I am looking for opportunities to work with farmers and ranchers on combining grazing with cropping practices for both the farmers and ranchers' benefit. Hey, Paul, thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you as well at the Neil Kinsey Seminar. Good luck going into the spring. On today's Ag PhD radio show, we're going to talk about spring manure applications and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about spring manure application. And I know for many of our listeners, you may be thinking, wait a second, I'm trying to get that manure on in the fall. And yeah, we try to get the manure on in the fall too. Sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes there is just a plentiful supply of manure and spring is the option. So we're going to talk through all those things today. We would love to get your feedback or if you have any other agronomic questions, you can call as well. 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off in Indiana. we got Jason on with us right now. Jason, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? We're doing pretty well. Okay, so first of all, spring or fall, if you could put all the manure on, would you do it in, all in the fall, or do you like to put some on in the spring regardless? Uh, we do it both. The spring is ideal. Uh, we can stretch more acres, so we'll shoot for like 4,000, and then we can cut our nitrogen way back. You know, may, We might get away with 50 pounds of nitrogen and no P&K, so it's best econ- economic choice. Yeah, I can see that versus a, a fall app where you might lose some of that in. Is that what you're getting at? Yep. You know, that that is the name of yeah, the game. Yeah, you when can we... get that initial burst, too. You don't need the uh, starter, so it'll jump right out of the ground. And you, with wide drops, you can kind of see how much rain you get and adjust on the fly with that. We always joke about our dad that, that he uh, said the smell of manure was the smell of money, and, and we say, no, it's the smell of lost money. We don't want to lose that end. There's a lot of end there. We'd like to get get full use out of that. Okay, so what are the challenges then with spring? Now, you, you mentioned just from uh, dollars and cents and getting the most out of the fertility. That's a good thing. Do you run into wet springs? I would assume that might be your challenge. That is the challenge. So. Dragline helps, you know, tenfold there, and honestly, the tractor, our uh, contractor guys got some fat uh, tracks on a, a quad track, so that gets them out there a lot less light, and, or, you know, a lot lighter, and, uh, but it comes down to luck, 
you know, th- th- we do fall and spring just so the gun is not to our head, if you will, and the spring gives us a little more flexibility. But you can luck out and have a wet spring, and, and now you get into late May, and uh, you've got to look for another option. Do you ever try to side dress manure? I know we get questions sometimes from farmers just wondering what all the options are on the table. Is that something if you got in a real pinch? Yep, yep. Uh, uh, we don't have a tank that can do that ourselves, but we're kind of in a uh, kind of buyer group with another guy that's got some 18 fours uh, that can do that. He's got a 6,000 gallon tank, but you start putting skinny tires on there, it better be dry or you know, it turns into a pizza cutter. So that's, that's, that's the main challenge here, you know, is, is compaction and, and chasing those dollars. You're going to pay for three or four or five years if, uh, if you go out there too wet. So that's when you get the tanks out. I like the idea that you had to begin with of, Hey, let's spread this out on more acres. So are you putting manure out basically in front of any crop and just utilizing the fertility value there to feed that crop? Yeah, and we can cut it pretty close, too. If we cut that rate down to, you know, sometimes we went down to 3,500 gallons, we can plant corn. If the soil profile is pretty dry, we can plant corn in three or four days. Uh, so we can keep that same planting window. Uh, when you get in Indiana, we don't, we can't just plant corn any day. We usually have to uh, plant it in a very tight window, and uh that makes it really nice. And like you said, we could stretch the acre. So if you've got 2 million gallons and divide by 4,000 instead of six or eight, you're going to have an economic uh, corn crop that your input costs are, are quite a bit less. And that does help quite a bit. Do you, I, I know a lot of big producers are putting in some wheat acres and just some other crops that they could harvest early to spread that fall window out. Are you guys utilizing that on your farm too? Yes. So our fall option, ideally, uh, we plant an earlier corn and uh, we'll, we'll do a fall application. Then I plant this relay wheat. And what, what we can do there is we can plant wheat in wide rows with a cover crop and the wheat will absorb the nitrogen and kind of change its plant, plant uh, the way it grows and get more tillers. And in the wide rows, the wheat kind of bushes out and then we plant soybeans in there in between the rows the next year and, and we can grow a wheat crop extremely cheap and kind of use the wheat as pattern tile in the springtime, kind of a living uh, absorption of, of moisture in the soil profile. That, that's ideally what we do on our fall application. And then in, in the spring, we like to uh, put it out ahead of a corn crop. Yeah, it's interesting. There is a lot of ingenuity out there and guys coming up with cool ways to utilize the most they can out of this manure that is just so valuable. And other farmers are like, well, it's just something I got to get rid of. Well, you couldn't be more wrong about that. It's got a tremendous amount of value. Jason, really glad to hear about some of the things that you're doing there that are great for the environment and also awesome for uh, for utilizing the, the most value out of that manure possible. Thanks for sharing that. Really Appreciate it and good luck this spring. Thank you. You the same. Let's head over to Ohio. We've got Glenn Arnold with us right now with Ohio State. Glenn, thanks for joining us today. Oh, glad to be here. All right, so we're talking about spring manure, and Jason kind of highlighted some of the pros and cons there, and and he's right. Mm-hmm. You do have to be a little bit lucky for for everything to work out for spring application. It, it is, but equipment's coming along nicely too. I mean, uh, if you look at what the Cadman company developed with their side dress unit 
that uses a hard hose and doesn't smash the corn, you know, they probably have a system that allow us perhaps as much as two months of side dress time in the spring. So that's uh, when you can get well into late June and still side dress corn, uh, that's a system I think will really open up that spring window. That is fantastic. You're you're right about that. The equipment advances have been huge. And also just an understanding how to utilize this fertility. Jason had mentioned just trying not to lose the nitrogen. Are there some steps that growers should be taking to try to get the most out of that nitrogen value? Yeah, when you look at um, like liquid swine finishing manure, which is one of the more common manures that we deal with in Ohio, uh, you know, that nitrogen is about half the value of the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash value of the manure. So one nutrient is about half of what that the value of content of a pit would be. So last year we started a new project where we surface applied swine manure with a tanker, and then we incorporated swine manure right beside that with a tanker. And then we came back the next day and we cultivated in that liquid swine manure. The rate was only 5,000 gallons per acre, but that got us the 200 units of nitrogen we were looking for. And when we took that to yield, there was only two bushels per acre difference between the incorporated swine manure and then the swine manure that we cultivated in with a, with a regular row cultivator the next day. So when you look at that, you think, well, I really don't have the equipment for... Uh, for side dressing corn, I don't have the narrow tires and some of those types of things. Yeah, you know, you could splash that on with a hose and an angle and then come right in there the next day, cultivate that in, and you might be doing almost as well as, as uh, trying to drive down through the row. That is interesting. Okay, I know you've done some work on wheat as well. What do you see in wheat? What are the opportunities there? Well, they're pretty numerous. Our wheat just broke dormancy. Uh, most of us in the farther north, northern part of the state missed the rain that came through today, so our fields are starting to firm up pretty nicely. So we've had a number of people that have used drag hoses to uh, surface apply manure to wheat. Um, again, swine finishing manure, sow manure, uh, even dairy manure. But dairy manure usually doesn't perform nearly as well as the, as, this, as the swine manures do. But we've had a number of people that will start doing that pretty soon. And then we've got a new project that we're starting this year where we have a grassland applicator that slices a, a, a furrow open every seven and a half inches across the field. And we're going to use that to incorporate manure into wheat this year. We think it'll work real well. I worked with something like that about 15, 18 years ago, but, but um, we're really excited to try this. We'll probably use a tanker the first year or two, but eventually that could be a toolbar where we can incorporate manure into wheat or alfalfa in the summertime, or other types of crops, um, you know, to get more manure underground as quick as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, that is really exciting. We're talking with Glenn Arnold here with Ohio State. Glenn, thanks for sharing what you guys are working on. We'll keep up with you online here and, and keep an eye on some of these studies as they come out as well. Good luck heading into the spring. All right. Hey, appreciate talking with you. Take care. You bet. Talking spring manure application on today's Ag PhD radio program. We'll have some more coming up right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. 
Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Talking about spring manure applications on today's Ag PhD radio program. And wow, there's a, a lot to talk about here. It's a big discussion. Real happy to have Brian Doherty with us right now with Iowa State to talk about it a little bit. Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. All right, lots of things here. And we've, we've been talking about spring manure applications and, and some of the different sources of manure. Uh, I'm thinking about a couple other topics that we haven't hit yet, and we'll see if you have any input on these. Biodigesters and poultry litter. Do you run into that over in northeast Iowa at all? You know, we don't run into that much in northeast Iowa. We don't tend to have a lot of, a lot of poultry operations in this part of the state. So I don't have a lot of feedback on that topic in particular but 
in general, there's certainly a lot of interest in, you know, on-farm digesters. It's just not quite there yet economically to make those viable in most places. Yeah, it's a little different when we get in the north and things are cold versus uh, other places mm-hmm. where they've got plenty of heat all the time to, to make things work. But you do have a lot of dairy over in your area. So are, do you have a lot of dairy manure application in the spring or does a lot of it take, take uh, place in the fall? No, there's definitely a lot of dairy manure that goes on in the springtime. You know, generally producers don't have enough manure storage to hold a year's worth of manure, and that's quite common in the dairy industry. So there's certainly a lot of manure that goes on in the springtime with uh, dairy farms. All right. So, so as you get out there, I know you've got a lot of rolling terrain through your corner of the state as well. Do you, do you see... Uh good strategies that farmers are using that are working better than, than some of the things we've done in the past? Yeah. So I, I think uh, we're seeing a trend towards more uh, low disturbance manure injectors is one thing that, that I've kind of noticed. And so that can certainly help, especially in some of that hillier terrain, you know, the less soil disturbance we have, the better. And then dairy farms are, I would say pretty much at the forefront when it comes to using, putting in a fall cover crop. So it's a very common strategy on corn silage ground, which we have a lot of on dairy farms. And so, you know, that's another really good management, you know, strategy for not only preventing erosion, but also taking up some of the nutrients from that manure. And we get some pretty good data on nutrient uptake and also water quality improvement using a, a good fall cover crop, something like a cereal rye that will overwinter well. So that's a good strategy, again, trying to minimize the disturbance. And then, you know, you definitely need to keep an eye on the spring field conditions and not be out there when it's too wet because, you know, those uh, big tankers especially that we tend to use in the hillier terrain, they can they can create a pretty significant amount of compaction if it's too wet. You know, we were just over the break here, Brian and I were talking about my brother, Brian, sorry not to confuse anybody listening here when we're talking with Brian Doherty with Iowa State. So my brother and I were having a conversation over the break about cover crops and how with our normal October, November harvest timing in corn, it's really a challenge to to get cover crops out in the rotation. But when we're going to be taking silage much earlier in the season, we've got a great shot. So I think for a lot of growers to the north, they're really interested in this. If, man, if I can follow my corn silage with a cover crop, that can be a real benefit for me. Do you have any tips for that? I know you said you had some good data from the studies that you've seen about how to make that work. Yeah, so uh, we've got uh, some research at the Northeast Research Farm near Nashua, and this isn't after corn silage, so this is actually getting drilled in the fall, you know, after just regular harvest for corn grain. So it's going in late, but we still regularly see, you know, 30 to 40% reduction in nitrate leaching through the drainage line at that location. And so, you know, that's going to vary from year to year, depending on when you terminate it and, you know, how long you let that grow in the spring. Certainly the more, the more you let it accumulate biomass, the more nitrogen it's going to take up. But we've seen, particularly in kind of normal to wetter than normal years, that, that system seems to work really well. So the treatment we have there is with what we would call early fall manure. So it goes on as soon as possible after harvest, but soils are still, you know, warmer than 50 degrees generally. 
And those are the conditions where we really see a high risk for nitrogen loss when the, that soil hasn't cooled down yet in the fall. And we did see a lot of manure that, you know, with the good weather last fall and the dry conditions, we did have a lot of manure that went on a little earlier than maybe it probably should have. So that's a great place to use a cover crop on those acres. You know, and then as far as management, you know, on dairy farms, a lot of them are actually going to take that off for silage in the spring. And that can be a good strategy to double crop that. You can get a lot more forage that way off of the same acres. But again, you really got to watch your compaction there and not be out there when it's too wet if you're going to do that because you're just doubling your, your number of passes across the field with, with that forage equipment. And so compaction can certainly be a concern there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's you're absolutely right about that, no doubt about it. Okay, you mentioned the erosion control benefits of that cover crop, also water quality improvement, and I know in the state of Iowa that is a big deal, but for all of agriculture, we're certainly concerned about water quality and, and stopping erosion is one of those tools, and then, of course, anytime manure is involved, we definitely want to make sure we keep that in the field where it's highly valuable for us and, and where it belongs. Uh, any other tips on that in terms of the water quality study? that you're doing? Yeah, so other strategies producers are looking at just trying to get that cover crop in earlier. So you can go with, you can go all the way up to an early interseed, like a kind of V3 to V5 range seems to work pretty well. And you're probably going to be targeting different species when you're going earlier in the season. So that's one advantage of that strategy. Cereal rye, we found, at least on most of the farms I've talked to, that where they've tried cereal rye early in the season like that, tends to not do very well. It's not very shade tolerant, so you might want to look at some annual rye grass, you know, maybe put some clovers in the mix and try to fix some nitrogen, things like that. So you'll be looking at different species, but there are ways to get a cover crop in much earlier. Yeah, a lot of different strategies that, that growers can use. Glad to hear there's a lot of work happening in, in this sphere of agriculture. Uh, talk with Brian Doherty with Iowa State University. Brian, thank you so much. Really appreciate all that you're doing, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, back to uh, back to my brother, Brian, for your comments on, on spring manure application. And certainly manure is something on our farm that, that we're working with almost every year. This year was a, an exception to that, but into next year we're expecting oh, to have no, quite a few did, acres of manure. No, we did some, just not very many acres this year. Um, it, it, it's just I'm always going to be concerned with any application of manure and how much compaction are we going to create out there? So for our our geography, spring applications are really challenging because quite often we're wet in the spring and we're cold and we have heavy soils. And so when you add all that up, it's, it, it is tough. It's very easy to create compaction and it's easy to do things wrong. So we also don't want to delay our planting by saying, well, we got to wait till the manure gets on. That's tough for us because we know early planting pays. Early planting, on average, yields more than later planting. Plus, we got a lot of stuff to get done. So if we have to delay a bunch of things, all of a sudden that could slow us up for soybean planting or whatever else. So I, I, I love manure. I love compost. I just say for all this stuff, we have to be careful. We have to make sure we're testing it first. We have to use it in moderation. 
not getting our soils out of balance, also not overloading our soils with salt. And that's really the next thing that I wanted to throw out there with spring manure, I'm much more concerned about the salt load. So while you might have pushed it in the fall many different years with the rate, in the spring you got to be a lot more careful because you're much closer to planting time and we just don't want too much salt out there possibly hurting any of our crops. So I realize as I'm talking through this, you're like, well, he's worried about this. He's worried about that. Yes, I, I am. I just... I mean, again, manure is great, and I'm not saying don't use it. We want you to use manure as much as you can, but we just have to be really careful, especially with the spring. So, again, the biggest concern for me is compaction, and the, the next con biggest concern in the spring is salt. And I'm more worried about it in the spring because it's close to planting time. So, beyond that, I would just say... The smell from manure, we all as farmers need to figure out, and livestock people, we need to figure out how to reduce the smell as much as possible. So that's why we talk so much about injection, because we farm around a lot of non-farmers and they control the votes. So we got to get their votes. We got to keep the smell down. We'll answer more of your questions right after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low Use Rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void or prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and our email box is always there for you as well, radio at agphd.com. If you want to talk about spring manure, we sure can. Or if you just want to ask an agronomic question, that's fine too. Got one. We were talking about cover crops here just a minute ago. Got one from VV who says, can we use corn as a cover crop? Absolutely. Anything can be used as a cover crop, just a growing plant. So that's earlier in the show, I was just saying we can't raise what many people call cover crops around here because when we plant, there might even still be a little frost in the ground sometimes. And when we harvest, there is quite often a little frost in the ground. There's no extra time. We have a crop growing the entire growing season. The The whole premise behind cover crops is to keep something growing when you don't have anything else growing in the field. So by that definition, well, weeds technically could be a cover crop. But the point is, here and the way we farm in our region with corn and soybeans, uh, you don't need a cover crop because the corn or the soybeans for us serves as the cover crop. Right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one from Lisa. Oh, I'm sorry, from Aaron, who says, tiling is tiling question for you is there an inexpensive app i could get for my iphone where i could map old and new tile lines i have an older tile plow with laser and this is aaron from minnesota unfortunately no i I don't know of anything that that there is in terms of an app and mapping that and how you would do that exactly. So what I would probably do, if you could find where those old tie lines were, is I would drive it with my four-wheeler or pickup or something and then mark that path. So, yeah, I, anyway, there are a lot of companies out there that have software that can do that while you're out mapping in a field and just map where that line is. The question we often get along with this is, um, how can I find my old lines? So what a lot of people do right at this time of year is they'll take drone footage or aerial footage or uh, photography, I mean, and then you can see the frost comes out above the tile lines often faster than the other areas. I was just talking to a farmer today, too, because we were talking about the tile or about uh, frost. And I said, yeah, I, I'll bet you the frost is almost out. And in fact, Rob Fritz, who's occasionally on the show here with us, agronomist, he just said he ran a soil probe down pretty deep and, you know, hit no frost. And anyway, I was telling his farmer, I said, well, look, keep in mind, the water table around here is eight feet deep now. And usually at this time of year, it's one foot deep. So here's my point. Dry soil doesn't act like wet soil. With dry soil, the frost comes out so much easier. In fact, you can go out there and there might be a little bit of frost left in that soil today, but I said you're going to be able to go right through that. It's no big deal. So if you have small grain to plant right now, if you have 
tillage you want to do right now, I'd probably just go get it done as long as the soil is dry, obviously. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, get this one from Joel, and he said, this is Joel down in Kentucky, he said, uh, guys, I, I found a picture of one of your slides on an ag talk type website and i'm just wondering if you could explain it a little bit and if there's any kind of video clip that you had to go with this it's when you're talking about the uh how the moderna vaccine for covid actually works oh well you can go right to moderna's website and they will explain mrna technology so mrna stands for messenger ribonucleic acid um, and i'm not going to go all through that here on the show but I, I, what I do want you to think about is a couple of things. Number one, did you know that in Europe they had to change their, their laws on GMO, GMOs? So this, both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, so they could both be developed and then given as shots to people. Okay, that's the first thing. They literally had to change their GMO laws. And then the second thing I want you to think about is this. A lot of people say, oh, I'm worried about these GMOs and biotech and everything else. And I'll just give you the example of BT corn. What happens in BT corn? Well, the plant will produce a protein it wouldn't normally produce if it wasn't biotech corn. Okay. When you get the shot, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer, because of this mRNA technology, when you get that shot, your body now produces a protein it wouldn't normally produce. In both cases, the corn protein and the human protein, in both cases, it's safe for humans, safe for animals. There's no problem. But a lot of people just, oh, it's, it's new, it's different, it's science. How often have we heard in the last year, trust the science? Okay, well, if we're going to trust the science, can we stop, please, vilifying GMOs? GMOs have never killed anyone in the history of the world. Never, ever, ever. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with biotechnology. I'm not saying we all have to be on board day one, but this isn't day one. We're 25 years after BT corns came out, and we don't have um, livestock that looks weird or tastes weird or anything else after 25 years. So sooner or later, we got to get on board with technology. And as soon as you take that shot from Moderna or Pfizer, I hope that you are now a fan of biotechnology because that may have saved your life. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, got, got this from Bob. He said, guys, I love your videos. I'm in California and looking to grow some sorghum for a duck uh, project and I'm targeting maturity around the 1st of November, meaning that with a roughly 100 day maturity, I should be planting this around mid July with our climate. My question is I'm concerned about the land being bone dry and also concerned about not getting the seeds growing quick enough early in the season, like you had talked about in one of your videos. I'm just wondering what can I do in a dry climate? to get that seed to jump out of the ground faster. Okay, so jumping out of the ground fast is a different question from what can I do when I'm planting into dry conditions. Here's what I mean by that. Jumping out of the ground faster is mainly driven by heat, and certainly there are biologicals we can use to pop the, ground, pop the seed out too. But if you're planting in the summertime, popping seed out of the ground fast is no problem at all. So let's get back to the real 
heart of this question, and it is dry weather. Believe me, we have dealt with lots of dry weather over the years. We've had a grand total of about five inches of precip since July 5th. So we're talking, we're going on eight months, and we've had five total inches of precip. That's it. And I'm still expecting to raise tremendous corn and soybeans this year. Uh, and whatever else we're raising. Oats, little little winter wheat, a little spring wheat maybe. Anyway, the point here is this. The only thing you can do is either a lot of praying that it's going to rain, or you can plant a little bit deeper. I don't like to plant deeper to hit moisture, but we will to some degree. We were talking about this even the other day here on the show. If we are bone dry this spring, but we can hit moisture, let's call it two and three quarters inches with our corn. I never like to plant our corn at two and three quarters inches, but if I that gives me a more consistent stand, I'm probably willing to sacrifice a little bit and do it. So usually we'll tell people, hey, two to two and a half inches deep, that's about the ideal range for planting corn. But yeah, we'll, we'll just go a little deeper. Now, I, I guess there is one other thing that you could do. You can just wait and see what the weather looks like. So for a lot of the farmers we deal with that are even drier than us, they will generally speaking just be watching the weather and for for many of them they'll wait until it actually rains and then they'll go plant and you can do that or you could plant and then hope that the rain isn't like some gully washer or anything. So anyway, yeah, it's it's just it's a challenging situation when the weather's dry and you want to plant and get all your seeds to grow. Yep. Uh, it, it's not easy when you don't have moisture. And that's one of those things in, in a dry area like that. Irrigation is awesome. But I, I get it. You're probably planting the sorghum because you like a crop that can tolerate some of that dry weather as well. Uh, Got a number more uh, emails we want to get to in a second here. This one that we're going to talk about right after this break comes from Cheryl. And she said, working with a graduate student from another country who wants a quick education on American agriculture, and we found your farm basics. We'll talk about that and some of the topics they'd like to hear about right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing whenever you want farm your way with case ih afs connect now you can farm share data and manage your fleet however whenever and wherever you want learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way you're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck how about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid, 
Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. And just before the break, I, I was diving into a question here I got from Cheryl. She's up in North Dakota, and she said she's working with a graduate student from Bangladesh that needs a quick education on the basics of American agriculture and terminology and so forth. And and they've been watching a few of our Farm Basics videos, just wondering if we had a complete list of every Farm Basics that we've done and if there were links to those videos, those types of things. Also, just wonder if we had any recommendations about books or videos that would help uh, teach the terminology of American farming. I don't have any book or video recommendations necessarily other than all the Ag PhD things that we've done. So we've done a brand new half-hour Ag PhD TV show every week for 23 years. It'll be 23 years the 1st of April here. So we've got a lot of content, and you can find that at our website at agphd.com. All right. Thanks for the question, Cheryl. And I get this one from Brandon. He said he had a great show on corn pop-up fertilizers yesterday. You, you raised some concerns about the rate of pop-up, and you mentioned yep. also having some concerns with the running high rates of fertilizer in a two-by-two. Two. Yep. Just wondering what rates would you start becoming <laughs> concerned at? Now, here, let me give you a little yeah. background on our farm. Good. He said, we've got 1% organic matter. Mm. A neutral soil pH of 7. Our cation exchange capacity is around 10. And we're short in about everything except for potassium. And only see around 6 inches of rain during the growing season. We're in 30-inch rows. Some agronomists have told me to dump nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, and micros right in the 2x2. But my gut doesn't think extra nitrogen and sulfur is a great idea there, even at lower rates. I'll probably broadcast those and then do an early side dress with the leachables. Yep. There, there's no full, or this is full no-till. We're trying to build our organic matter even in this lighter soil, and I wouldn't mind having a little phosphorus left over four inches deep in the soil, but certainly don't want to hurt the corn in the process. 
Okay, so first of all, I'm glad he's thinking about leachables versus non-leachables. So when you start talking phosphorus, even in a 10 CEC soil, which is on the light side, okay, and 1% organic matter is really low. So his soil is not going to hold a tremendous amount of stuff. It's still going to hold the phosphorus. It's still going to hold the copper and the zinc. So those things aren't going anywhere. But almost everything else is. So you got to think a lot about that. But he also threw in the other factor here, six inches of rain in the growing season, that's not much. So, I mean, he's a little bit in the same boat we are. We, we will typically get a little more than that during the growing season. But where I'm going with this is when you have that little rainfall, you have to make sure that you put on quite a bit of fertilizer up front rather than he made some comment about side dressing or something like that. Um, be careful. Make sure you're on the early side rather than on the late side because we've had it before. When we very first started doing side dressing years ago, we would we were a little later, and then we wouldn't get rain for a month, and all of a sudden we go, wait a second. Um, by the time we finally got rain, did that fertilizer do us any good? No, it didn't. It might have been there for the next year, but I want my fertilizer to help this year. Um, how high a rate until I'm concerned about something? I... I in, in pop-up, our, our general thing, just as a general statement, is five pounds of salt per acre in a 30-inch row for corn. So that's our general statement. But that even that needs to be adjusted a little bit. And in your case, I don't know if I'd even go to five pounds. So that would be three gallons of 1034. Would I put that on in your case? I don't think I would. I really don't. I mean... That little rain, that light of soil, that low percent organic matter, I would just be concerned. In the two-by-two, I'm a lot less worried. But to put all my nitrogen and sulfur there, yes, you absolutely could burn things off and do yourself almost more harm than good if you get too carried away in the rate. But what's the right rate? I I can't really say for sure. There are just too many factors there. But I just want everybody to be thinking about that, experiment a little bit. And kind of go from there. But yes, nitrogen and sulfur and boron, since they're all leachable, it doesn't gain you a lot to be trying to ban them anyway. And then it slows you up with planting. So like on our farm, we put pretty much all our nitrogen, sulfur, and boron on broadcast, and it works great. But as I say that, I have no issue with you putting a little bit of nitrogen and sulfur in a 2 by 2 That may really help you, especially in a dry spring. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that, Brandon. And, and yeah, I, again, I echo Brian's thoughts here that you have thought through things pretty well. I did like that, that you had some concerns there and we're, we're going to make sure you didn't do anything to hurt the crop. All right. Get this one from Chris and he's down in irrigated sand country in Nebraska. He said, guys, I've got some soil samples here. This is rented ground. It's going to be soybeans. And I also included a lime analysis of some lime we're considering to use. Now, I'm thinking about using lime on this field, but my question is, will my magnesium rise enough with the lime application when we drop that hydrogen percent? Or should I be applying some magnesium as well? The most ideal way to apply magnesium here is broadcasting KMAG. Also, would love to hear any other thoughts you have on this sample. Again, it's irrigated sand. Okay, so first of all, his he's about a 6 CEC up to 11. So just to give you an idea how light that soil is, his pH is 5. He's got several samples, but I'm just giving you the average. And his magnesium percentage is, let's call it 9. 
Okay, so does he need more magnesium? Yes, he absolutely does. Yeah, and we've heard some some dolomitic sources are available well, in Nebraska, so you just have to check around a little bit more if you can find that. Because I, I right. know we've seen some lime samples come from Nebraska. I don't know exactly well, where, but they had higher levels of mag. Okay, well, here here's the thing. Um, we talk agronomics all the time on our show, but we also talk economics. So let me put it to you this way. The lime source that he gave us here is high calcium, very low magnesium. So this would be considered a calcitic lime. Now, the question is, let's say that there's a dolomitic source that costs a little more. The dolomitic is going to be high also in magnesium in addition to the calcium. So that would help solve your, your magnesium problem. So then you could go dolomitic lime plus, let's say, potassium versus could you go this KMAG plus calcitic lime. So you just have to work out the math in terms of the financial side on that. But I I would say, I mean, almost everything is low as I look at your soil test. Your boron's low, your copper's low, your zinc is low, your sulfur is low. Um, Your phosphorus actually isn't bad. Um, And your potassium isn't bad either. Your potassium is actually in pretty good shape. So the the good news is the two, well, the three primary nutrients are N, P, and K. Your phosphorus isn't bad. Your potassium's not not too bad. So more of your money is going to be spent on these secondary and micronutrients. When we talk calcium, magnesium, sulfur, and all these micros, that's a secondary and micronutrient. So that at least doesn't cost you quite as much typically. But yeah, it's a challenge when it's rented ground. So honestly, if I'm you, I'm going to talk to the landlord to say, look, we need to put a bunch of lime out here. Here are, here are the soil tests so you can see. We're trying to get into the sixes. We're at five right now. And when I raise your pH, it's going to make your ground more valuable. And I would just say, I'm not asking for a lot, but I'd either like a long-term lease or if I don't get to rent the ground next year, I would like some of the money back because I now fixed the soil. And that's a very fair request. So anyway, uh, I'd say that's, that's probably all I got on this one. All right. And yeah, if you use something like KMAG, I guess I was just thinking about that too. There's a lot of sulfur in there. So you've got potassium, you get sulfur, oh, yeah, that's you got true. magnesium. Yeah, good and, point. You know, I, I look at the parts per million of potassium on, on the test and light soils like that. And and while the base saturation can be a little misleading when it seems pretty high, if the parts per million are, are less than 100 parts per million, we, we definitely need hey, some K2. There, there's one other thing I, I should have mentioned before on this, this lime source. I have a little bit of issue with it because the ECCE is only 55.8%. So it's the effective calcium carbonate equivalent. And and one of the biggest factors in that, and the first thing that I always look at on my Lyme test, is what percent will pass through a 60 mesh sieve. And quite frankly, I would like my number to be 100% or near that. So that means I have a very fine material. And honestly, we, we get water treatment lime and we'll get almost 100% passing through a 100 sieve. So that tells you it's really fine. It will change the pH fast. You get a lot of effectiveness out of that. With his lime test here, it's only passing through a 60 sieve, just a 60, 43%. That's it. So that's it, it's not the best quality lime. It's not terrible, but it's not the best. So that's something for you to keep in mind as well. I hope you're getting it really cheap. All right. Thanks. We really appreciate the the question and thanks for sending the lime sample as well. It really helps with the, with the soil sample too. 
Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio. And don't forget to check out agphd.com for more information on our upcoming drainage clinic coming up March 16th. <music>